Hey, good morning, online family. So glad to be preaching today, picking up where Pastor Shannon uh, has left off, where Melissa's left off. We're in week four of Choose Wisely. A proverb a day keeps the fool in me away. And this has been such a great series, diving into the truth about Proverbs and, and how uh, we should live our lives. The title, the title of my message today is A Fool is Easily Fooled. You know, there's so many ways that we can be fooled. There's so many things that the enemy is throwing at us to get our attention away from what God has for us. God has laid out principles in his word. He's given us a guide. He speaks to us and he speaks to others for us on our behalf. But what happens when those things go wrong? Because let me tell you, we live in a fallen world, a world where those principles are no longer celebrated, a world where his voice is masked and twisted by others. We live in a world with an enemy who has come to kill, steal, and destroy, and he, won't, he will stop at nothing to get your attention, to just try to get your attention, to move those eyes that are so fixed on Jesus just a little to the left or a little bit to the right, to convince you that, that God's book doesn't matter anymore, that God's words aren't true. This takes me to my first point. A fool is easily fooled by secondhand knowledge. What do I mean by secondhand knowledge? But (laughs) have you guys ever played the game, the old game maybe as a kid? It's called telephone. You know, the first person uh, thinks of something, an an alliteration or maybe something funny, and they whisper into the ear of the next person. And then that person whispers it to the next and to the next and to the next and, and so on and so forth. And then it gets to the last person and they speak it out loud, it's something that's completely different than what the first person says, right? That's a great example of secondhand knowledge. Unless you're the second person in line that heard it directly from the source, what you're hearing is secondhand knowledge. But a lot of times when you're hearing it further down the line, it's got maybe an unconscious twist. It's knowledge received from someone rather than personally witnessed or received. Even today, as I'm preaching this message, I've prayed, I've asked God to direct my words, but some of this is secondhand knowledge. My understanding of the word that I'm relaying to you is secondhand. A fool is easily fooled by secondhand knowledge. It would be easy for me to deliberately or maybe even unintentionally guide you in the wrong direction, to speak something that doesn't exactly line up with the word of God. Let me read you a story about how this played out in the very first book of the Bible. Turn with me to Genesis 2.15. In where we're picking up, God had just created the world, the day, the night, the water, the land, the birds, the animals. He had rested. He'd now created man. And we read in picking up in verse 15 of chapter 2, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and to care for it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat of any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For if you eat of it, you will certainly die. The Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone, so I will make, him, make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord had formed, all, formed out of the ground all the wild animals, all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, it was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. <clears throat> so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed it up with a piece of flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. He had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. Now there's a few more more scriptures there, but we're going to skip on to chapter 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord had created. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? 
The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from, eat the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. And she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So we read here that God commanded Adam not to eat of the fruit, right? He commanded Adam. Eve hadn't even been created yet. So when the serpent came to Eve, she repeated the commandment that Adam told her that God had said. What she, was, what, what she even repeated to the serpent was different, was changed a little bit than what God had originally said. She had secondhand knowledge. She didn't go to the source. I, I almost read what the serpent said a bit differently here. Did God really say that? I can almost see him doing air quotes when he does that. It's secondhand knowledge. Maybe Adam didn't relay the, that, that, that commandment well enough, or maybe Eve didn't take it serious, seriously enough. We don't know. But real quick, a little tangent right here. Husbands, what has God spoken to you about your family, your marriage, your children, that you have not done a good enough job relaying or guiding your family into? And wives, what change or direction or word from your, the Lord your husband has been talking about to you that you haven't taken seriously? Or vice versa. Just think about that for a minute. A little tangent, but back to secondhand knowledge. There's other examples of this. Pastor Shannon and Melissa have been, uh, we're doing a series on Tuesday nights called, called Does the Bible Really Say That? Some of the phrases were, the Lord helps those who help themselves. Follow your heart. He won't give you more than you can handle. Cleanliness is next to godliness. God works in mysterious ways. I'm sure we've all said those. I've said some of them. I'm sure you have said some of these. But all of these are things that are often quoted as Bible passages that really aren't in the Bible. Most of them are derived from a scripture, but they're a great example of how telephone has played its part in these phrases over the years. Don't be fooled by secondhand knowledge. Read your word. Go to the well. Go to the source. You want to know what God is saying about what you're going through? Read your word. Search the scriptures. If you don't know where to start, you pick up a Bible, you're like, I don't know where to start. Go to Google and type in, what does God say about blank? Because secondhand knowledge says that he won't give me more than I can handle. But when I searched for what the Bible says about being overwhelmed, I found that it says Matthew 19, 26, but the Lord looked at them and said, with man, it, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. I found 2 Timothy 1, 7 that says, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Psalms 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Isaiah 41, 10, fear not for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's firsthand knowledge. 
going directly to the well, to the source, to God's word. That's God speaking directly to your situation. He's saying to me, Ronnie, I see you. I've got you. I know you. I love you. Press into me. My second point here, fools are easily fooled by good-sounding words. This one here is tough. We like good-sounding words. We like accolades. We like hearing what we, we did a good job, that what we did is right. But sometimes more than that, on the flip side, we also like hearing what we're doing isn't that bad. I might have some really great sounding words up here. Pastor Shannon might have an amazing sermon that hits you right in the feels and leaves you all warm and fuzzy. But does that message line up with the word of God? I know her and yes, but you have to have a grasp on the first point or the words of man are going to lead you astray every single time. Go back to Genesis. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that, you, that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Those are some pretty good sounding words, right church? If you eat of it, you're going to be like a God. You're going to know good and evil. Your eyes are going to be opened. You're going to be like a God. I mean, that is... That's some pretty good sounding words to me. Let me list some good sounding words that you might hear today. Hey man, you know, what you did in that situation, what you said in that situation, it wasn't that bad. You were just really mad at, at, at the whole thing. It, it's okay. Don't let anyone judge you because the Bible says, judge not least you be judged. Grace covers a multitude of sins. The Lord helps those who help themselves. God won't give you more than you can handle. You see how some of these things are, are close to what the Bible says, but they sound pretty good to the ear, right? The enemy is going to send or use people in your life to fool you with good-sounding words. People that have great intentions. Words that almost line up with the word of God, but are just off enough to lead you further away from the true heart of God. God is love. God is just. God is grace. God sent his son to die on the cross that we could have forgiveness. And every time we ask, we have forgiveness. But I think we need to look at the example of Jesus and the woman caught in adultery in Matthew 8. And at the end of the passage, Jesus says that he doesn't condemn the woman, but go and sin no more. That's love. Jesus tells this woman who was caught in the act of adultery, it doesn't say the woman who was an adulterer. It says the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. When we come to Jesus and ask forgiveness, Jesus' heart is to love and forgive, but go and sin no more. We live in a world where anything goes and sin is celebrated and grace is the only thing that the church is almost allowed to offer now. But I serve a God who loves and gives grace, but also gives correction. How we treat ourselves, treat one another, treat our children, our spouses, how we care for our temple, how we guard our mind. The word is clear on those things, how we're supposed to live. Don't be fooled by good sounding words, church. Take the words you hear, and if they don't align with the word of God, throw them out. You know, I want people in my life 
to give me good sounding words, to boost my confidence, but I also want people to call me out when I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Check me on that attitude. Point me in the right direction. Not just tell me that everything that I'm doing is, is okay. If everyone in your life is just saying, that, saying the things that are pleasing to your ears, then you don't have enough of the right people. And I'm not saying this is permission for, for you, church, to go out and start calling people out on their sins and telling everybody what they're doing right. I'm saying you need to find someone you can trust who will speak into your life. Someone who will love you enough to speak the not-so-good-sounding words. There needs to be a caveat on that, though. That person that you're looking for, or maybe you have, they need to be saved and they need to have somebody in their life that is giving them correction. Because if you have somebody that just wants to give correction and not receive it, they're not the right person. And everything that they say needs to align with the Word of God. No exceptions. Good-sounding words are great, but those words can easily leave you, lead you away from the cross. <clears throat> Lastly, a fool is easily fooled by things that look good. About four years ago, I was, I was working for the company that I'm working for right now, and uh, I was approached by an old coworker who had started his own company, and uh, he gave me an offer for uh, more money, less hours, lighter workload, more vacation days, basically everything that I wanted. I was overworked at the time and I was feeling stressed and, and that sounded so good. It looked so good. But the person who was offering me these things didn't, didn't have a really good track record for being the best person, for treating people really well. And while the offer looked really good and I had convinced myself that this is what God wanted for my life, it ended up being a disaster. I remember Shannon saying, um, before I took the position, that she didn't agree with what I was doing, but if I believe that this is what God had for me, that I believe that this is what God wanted, that she would support me. She's never gone back and said, I told you so. She's a pretty good wife like that. But it was a, it was a disaster. The enemy and the world will paint a picture of beauty. They will show you how good and enticing something looks, how good and enticing sin looks. Most of the primetime TV now is, is all about this. Look how glamorous, look how happy, look how fulfilled those people are operating in some type of sin. But turn with me to Matthew 4, and let's pick up in verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give to you, he said, if you will just bow down and worship me. Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The enemy was showing Jesus this bright and shining, amazing thing. You can have all of this if you'll just worship me. The enemy is going to try to convince you that what you have isn't good enough compared to what you could have. You don't look good enough. Your family isn't, isn't that family. 
You're too dysfunctional. Your job isn't this. Your smile, your car, your friends, your spouse. Because on the other side of that great picture that that he's painted is discontentment and unrest and unfulfillment. When he has you fooled with the things that look good, he has you focused on what you should have, who you should be with, how bad you've really got it. The enemy is even using other people's victories, other people's, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The enemy is even using other people's victories to make you doubt what the Lord is even doing in your own life. She got her prayers answered, but the Lord hasn't even worked in my life. Proverbs 14.30 says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Let me ask you, church. Have you been fooled? Where is the enemy fooling you today? Is he fooling you with secondhand knowledge? When you should be going to the source. Is he fooling you with great sounding words? Words that make you feel good, but remove the conviction that the Holy Spirit is urging you to change. Or fooling you with things that look good, causing you to compare what you have. I'm going to challenge you, church, to hold everything you hear, everything you see to the Word of God because He has never left. He will never leave you. He loves you and He has a plan for you. Don't be fooled, church. We'll see you next week.